This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and it's our Christmas show. It's Christmas Eve Eve. We've got Noma Weera today. She's already off on holiday, but we do have, returning for a Christmas show from the Isle of Skye, Andy Williamson. Kia ora, Andy. Um, nice to be back with you. It seems to be a regular fixture, the uh, pre-Christmas show. Well, we Lovely enjoy ourselves. We enjoy ourselves so much that we couldn't think of anyone better to have for the show. We know how your bubble life was. Actually, looking back on your bubble life, now it's getting further into the into history. How's your reflection on your bubble life? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've been doing a bit of. Um thinking about it and reflecting and you know it's we can't complain because we live in this most beautiful place and we weren't locked in a flat in the middle of it and not able to go out with no garden you know we're in this beautiful remote place and it's it's a fantastic community but it put back a lot of relationships it put back um for us and for Oren because he we went in the bubble I guess he's about just turn three when that all started and that's a pretty critical period but there's no play dates there's no going to nursery there's no there's no child care and for us we'd lived here oh, about eight nine months but we'd also spent a lot of that time away because of things that were going on so we were starting to build relationships and get to know people and that was cut short because there's no social events there's no just catching on your wave of street and that's it so it, yeah there's you know you can see the damage that it did to the the social cohesion of a place but the beauty of where we live is it's got a really strong community it feels like it's picking up and we've learned from it as well we're, we're one of the things we're doing at the moment is looking at community resilience and some of that came out of the pandemic. Yeah, how do we get prescriptions if things aren't working? How do we deliver food to the people that are, stru- are stuck somewhere and can't get to the shop in, in a, an emergent situation? As well as the obvious stuff like power and internet and, and the roads broke, we can't get out. But um, I, I think it's, on reflection, I think it was a period of, let's say stagnation, it's the wrong word, um, a period of, it wasn't calm reflection, somewhere in between. You know, there were good things about it, but it was it, it didn't build community in a lot of ways. It, it was difficult to build links, especially when you were relatively new. But I think we've caught up. You moved there specifically because of the Gaelic school. Yeah. How's that working out? It's good. It's a good school. It's um, Oran is now in his second year at Scolari. Scolari is the equivalent of nursery, which is Gaelic in He corrects me because he's always <laughs> done. Corrects me English. And the school is good. It's a it's a small school in a rural community, and we struggle for a lot of resources and getting things done. But um, it's got a really good school community. 
So I spent um, the other day was the school Christmas fair and it was very, very snowy and icy. So I spent um, the morning um, and Alison and I spent the morning de-icing the car park, putting grit all over it. But, you know, it's just it's, the community just does stuff. Just get on with it. And it's good for Oran. He's in a big class. He's known those kids since he moved here. In a lot of cases with you know, with that break around the pandemic. But um, it's it's a really it feels like a really strong group of friends he's got. What does the community around there do? What, what, what keeps them occupied? Doing? Yeah, what do you need doing? Uh, one of the beauties of living in a place like this is you pretty much have to be able to do it for yourself. So um, a lot of people have multiple jobs. So they might work on the ferries in summer. They might do something in hospitality and tourism, or they might do something um, with drive a van or plumbing or building or something. And people, a lot of people are crofters. So they have, um, you know, in New Zealand, you call a lifestyle block. So it's generally a fairly small piece of land. But one of the things about crofting is it's, it's a legal status. You've got to be productive. So they'd have a few sheep, cows or something. Most A lot of people are chicken. And so, yeah, you, you get on with it and you do it. Um, you do the stuff that needs to be done. And Sky is quite a busy place, lots of tourists, particularly in summer. Have they come back? Did they, did they go away and have they come back? Uh, yes, they did, and yes, they have. <laughs> um, and it's good and it's bad. You know, it brings in a lot of money, and you, you, it brings in a, a lot of stuff that we might not otherwise have, and, you know, in terms of restaurants and, and things we can do. But it's busy, and, um, you know, there are places in Sky that, as a local, you really don't go near in the summer. You know, from Easter until October, you keep well away. So you've been sneaking up and looking at these sites in the snow? Yeah, we uh, just the other day snuck up to the, the the famous or infamous Olivia Fairy Pools, which is yeah, it's a beautiful. It's it's lots of lovely waterfalls cascading down into big, deep, clear pools with the Coolin Range behind. So you know, at the moment, it's sitting there with snow right down to the bottom of the mountain, ice on the little pool, absolutely beautiful and clear. But don't fall in cold. So you know, not a yeah, not a tourist you, in sight. You know that a centimetre of snow brings Dunedin to a halt, but Around there, it's a, it's a thing you deal with? Well, there's a, I, I'll let you into a secret. We don't actually get that much snow. You know, if you look at how much snow the UK has had pre-Christmas, we've had less than most people, particularly where we are. Um, and no, it doesn't do a whole, but it does stop things. You know, the school, look, the minibuses that, that do the school run can't get to some of the, the more remote communities because we've got single track roads over scary hills that look like go-kart tracks. You, you can't get, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty hairy. Um, but... You need a four-wheel drive to do a lot of things. I mean, we went up to the ferry pools the other day because we had a four-wheel drive, and the road there was um, covered in so on. But there was still the odd tourist in a, I mean, a hire car turning up, obviously oblivious to the fact they're driving on sheet ice. But um, I wouldn't have gone up there in one of them. Yeah, you get around. Let's take the first of your music choices. Now, this one really is going to take some explaining. Let's have Nick Cope, the eight-legged, big-headed octopus. Why this one? Uh, you see, well, well, what I did was I've got to choose songs with you four. And I thought, well, that's not fair because I keep getting to choose. So I've outsourced my song selection. And the um, the eight-legged, big-headed octopus is the current favourite of Oren, aged four, about to turn five. And uh, Nick Cope has a show on, on BBC where he basically puts together a song and plays in fantastic animations. The eight-legged, big-headed octopus is the current in-car favourite. If I could be any creature on this earth I wouldn't be a mongoose or a mouse I wouldn't be a badger or a butterfly or bee Or a blue bottle buzz 
buzzing round your house. I'd be an eight-legged pig headed off to pass. The brightest button in the bay, and no whale or seal or shark out there lurking in the dark is gonna make. Andy, what sort of creature would you be? I presume you've had that discussion in the car. And we haven't really, because uh, there's a general conversation about it. But um, uh, mostly there's general agreement that the octopus is a pretty cool animal. And uh, and the selection was made because Oren says he loves the words. So he likes all the different animals in it. And uh, yeah, I think the octopus is a bit of a winner because it gets a good um, it, it gets a good billing in the song. But you know, there's there's plenty of others in there. There's lots of lots of good animals. The meerkat's got advantage. The badge, of course, and I've been ferocious, grumpy. So you're avoiding my question. What sort of animal would you be? Well, I'll go for the badger. <laughs> Andy, you work in democracy, promoting democracy. Can we have a a score for democracy for 2022? Yeah, do we have to? Um, I don't think it's going forwards. It certainly isn't in the UK. I mean, I don't even want to go there on the absolute shamble of the UK government. Fortunately, we're slightly protected up here in Scotland, but only slightly, as the Supreme Court has told us, we have absolutely no right to determine our own future. There's a good democracy. <laughs> uh, 
Um, as long as it suits the uh, the oil companies and the funders of the Tory party, we have to do it at their behest. So, yeah, we're stuck. So, no, democracy is not going great. It's struggling in a lot of places. It's developing in some interesting ways. I've done a lot of work this year on deliberative democracy, particularly around developing protocols and standards, international standards, the Council of Europe for citizen assemblies and similar deliberative events. And that's an interesting emerging area. There's a school of thought that says you can replace parliament and council with citizens assembly, which is, you know, crazy thinking. No, you can't, because you don't understand that what a citizens assembly does is about 50% of what MP does their job. So, no, but you can supplement. You know, you can, you can definitely use um, random samples of the public to sit down and intensely deliberate about strong social issues or key strategics for the future, it's been it's well proven you can do it. The, the question is, how do you integrate it into existing democratic frameworks to make them better responsive? So we're, we're doing, we've got some wins on that. I think we've seen some wins around some parliamentary openness and some of the things that parliaments have been doing, my other, other side of my work. I think we've seen a few, quite a few losses in terms of um, the pandemic has been an opportunity for innovation and improving democracy. It's also been a good excuse to lock things down and close them off where it's suited. So quite a few countries, I think, are going backwards. Um, the media hasn't improved. I mean, New Zealand is, the, is a good example. It's at the moment, the fantastic article the other week about everything that Jacinda's done wrong, but seem to ignore everything that she's done right. And actually, you know, when you look at her scorecard going through the things she's gone through, she's not done a bad job if you're being politically neutral on this. She's holding her head up above an awful lot of worldliness, and she's certainly a damn sight better than the shower of idiots we've got. Yes, when you position New Zealand on any of those sorts of scores about um, the resilience through the pandemic, why is, why is it not being celebrated? Because they don't want to celebrate it. The media don't celebrate it. The New Zealand media is largely in the pocket of some, some big important people who don't want democracy to take its course. They want the system controlled by the people they control. You know, that's, that's true everywhere. It's, it's true in Canada. It's true in the UK. Um, you know, if you look at the UK and you look at the scandal around PPE and how friends of the government were um, put on a VIP list to procure PPE and trousered millions and millions of pounds for equipment that turns out not to work. And we still haven't got that money back. You know, my council where I live has a £45 million deficit staring down the, the barrel of a £45 million deficit, deficit, whereas Michelle Moan, who's a Tory peer from Scotland, pocketed £29 million for a PPE contract, that none of which was usable. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out where that £29 million could go. Um, we can use it for our deficit. She certainly shouldn't have it. But that's money that's come out of the public purse. Is she really called Moan? Yeah, and none of the because all the tabloids are so tourist, Tory biased. No one's stuck the Y on the end and called a Baroness Money, which I'm really disappointed. With. Certainly, none that I've seen. One of the things that the pandemic has done is it's enabled a whole rethink of the nature of work in terms of the the working from home being a viable thing. And during the during the lockdowns, we saw some of the parliaments and other um, other groups moving to virtual has any of that stuck yeah yeah um it's certainly stuck with parliamentary committees and it's stuck less so with uh, plenaries because they need to you know the full chamber of the house 
it needs to be face to face. But there's an awful lot of discussion about, well, what about when it can't get? What about when I can't get? So Canada has an inquiry at the moment, the House of Commons, looking at how or whether and if they keep virtual functioning, not just for committees, but for, for the main chamber as well. Uh, and I think a lot has been learned. And one of the things that's been learned is if this happens again, how quickly it is to switch it, because you've now got it all and you've got the knowledge. So you know, the UK Parliament, House of Commons, House of Lords, took three months to move to virtual sittings. They reckon now they could do it in three days. So that's quite quite a different. Um, Brazil is still functioning uh, largely virtually, quite happy to do so, and members are quite happy to do so. I think the big thing that's come out of this actually is um, you know, that's the visible show pony stuff, but actually a lot of the processes are now in the cloud and online. So it's much easier to do stuff remotely. And never mind the debate, but actually just working as an MP, all the stuff you need is more accessible. And because of the experience, there's been a massive increase in MPs trusting the technology, whereas before they might have been more skeptical. Now they've experienced what can be done. They're more trusting of it. But we have discovered that there are occasions where we still need to get together. We've got world leaders still going to the, the General Assembly and to COP and to APEC sort of things. There must be a, still a benefit of actually being in the same room. Yeah, I think there is. I think that's that's the um, that's the bit we've got to to try and figure out is what what's the tipping point for that. But I think you know legislators will tell you it's better to be able to, to be in Parliament because it's not actually what happens in the chamber, although that's important in terms of the spontaneity of debate, which you do lose online. But it's being able to just talk to people in corridors. And when you're working on complex legislation, a lot of the time it's those those conversations outside the chamber that really help you work out what's going on and where you want to be on them. Um, yeah, okay, things like COP. I think, I don't know, does that need, how much of that needs to be faced? Things, a lot of those stuff, they don't. But I think there's a core element when you get down to the, the nitty gritty of complex discussions where being able to look someone in the eye is really important. And as you say, as, as you say, there's probably as much of the value standing in the coffee queue. Yeah, yeah. It was always, the House of Commons is a classic example of this, there's always a resistance to having automatic voting, some kind of voting system, because the only time backbench MPs ever got to stand next to a minister and, and bail them up about something, or the Prime Minister, was when they all had to stand in the lobby and vote. So what they've done with that is they've still got the lobbies, but they've now got card readers, so you swipe your card as you go through. So it's all automatic and electronic, and it can be socially distanced if it needs to. But you, the MPs still want to stand in that queue and go through the lobbies because it's the only chance they get to talk to them. That got very messy in the UK Parliament at the change of one of the changes of Prime Minister this year. We'll talk about people being bullied into into uh, lobbies. Yeah, it was appalling, absolutely appalling. I mean, the Conservative Party in this country is an embarrassment. It, you, you can't stand on the world stage and hold up democracy and then say you you, you come from the Conservative Party in the UK. Uh, it's 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 shocking. I, I you know, I've worked in this field for a long time. I've worked with Parliament in Parliament, and and I'm I'm both outraged and surprised by it. They but they they all went to public schools. You know, they're all used to matron telling them what to do, um, and they're starting to fight back a bit because it's it's yeah it's it's madness. It's absolute madness. They've imploded. You know that they're deserting like rats off an already sunk ship. You can't go through that many prime ministers. You know, they wrote it in Liz Truss. Oh, my God, if you've ever met Liz Truss, she's the most vacuous person I've ever met in politics. She was absolutely unfit to be prime minister. There's just no, your politics doesn't come into it. She was just not fit for the job. And, of course, they, the Conservative Party has this facade of democracy where they let members vote. And the members got it dramatically wrong. 
So it had to be undone very quickly. And then a non-contest was suddenly manufactured where the right person won it. And that we're back on track. But, you know, he, he, Sunak's, at least he's, he's an adult, but he's not going to go down in history as a, as a great politician. And he's not going to go down in history as a great prime minister. And he's going to lose an election. So the question is, how long can they, they stick it out before they've just had enough and have to go? Um, and a lot of them want it done now. They just want the whole wound dealing with and they know they've lost. So they're all looking for jobs because they know what happened the last time they lost is after the election, nobody wanted them. So they're all trying to jump ship now and get nice, cushy consulting jobs or something before disaster strike. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dinan's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, kia koutou ko I hope you all have a stay, beautiful superstars and beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're on together has proven to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all this year, particularly and the last couple of years have been very tough. We've had to navigate so many new challenges. We've had to develop so many new ways of doing being seen. And this has taken its toll on us all. And I do feel that we're all in a state of well-deserved recovery and I hope rest and celebration. I know for myself in navigating long COVID recovery and indeed processing all that has taken place over the last few years, I have really appreciated the support of my friends in Fano, of, of course, the beautiful living world, my work at my heart's home workplace, Orokono Eco Sanctuary, and being part of this show. So a huge thank you to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me. And now, of course, we find ourselves having traversed this very tumultuous year with so many ups and downs. We find ourselves finally arriving at what I hope is a time of peace and plenitude for you and your whanau. And it is a time when you can come together and relax and celebrate all your triumphs this year. And I hope it is a time when you can really enjoy the present and the presence that come with this time of year. Of course, here in Aote Dunedin, and indeed around the Southern Hemisphere, we are enjoying being in the midst of summer and celebrating the sense of joyful abundance that is all around us in the living world. Flowers bursting into bloom, glorious colourful pollen, sweet nectar redolent in the air, and a sense of great fertility and merrymaking surrounding us, a sense of great energy and vitality having returned to Papatunaku. And many babies, of course, baby birds at Orokanui, baby lizards, all the Teneo Tanemahu reproducing wildly. It's wonderful to see, it's wonderful to be around all these young ones. We've been very lucky to have baby Ruru nesting in the carcanese boxes. We've been able to follow their progress. They get their beautiful different fluffy feathers and spin their heads around with their big golden eyes. 
very beautiful the first time that happened. And I, of course, am really looking forward as we find ourselves on Christmas Eve Eve to being with my Fano for Christmas and Christmas. And really having that time relaxing together, having that time hopefully just breathing a sigh of relief and hopefully playing Scrabble and enjoying some yummy kai. And of course for my dear mother and, and friends and whanau on the other side of the world finding themselves in blizzards and coldness as we come to this time of year. I hope that their times are full of peace and joy. And for everybody all over the world, everybody we have interviewed and have yet to interview, I hope that this time of celebration is a great restorer and a great rejuvenator, a great healing, a great blessing for us all. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to the Christmas Eve Eve edition of Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Dr. Andy Williamson on the Isle of Skye. What does Christmas look like on Sky, Andy? Snowy, cold, reindeer poo. Always find reindeer poo Christmas um, Christmas morning. Um, and it turns out, I don't recommend this, people, but if you do happen to eat it, taste the chocolate. <laughs> it must be the special diet, but it's always reindeer poo. It's magical. Oh, it's amazing stuff, yeah. Is there, is there a community sing-along, that sort of stuff? Do you, get in, do you go to those? Uh, yeah, there was one. There was one. There was one the other day. There was one this afternoon, actually, which can safely say I didn't go on. But um, that could have done. There's uh, the the school um, play. That's Oren's first school play, and all of Scolari were angels, which I think is so someone's to sense of humour. <laughs> and do you get to go away on a holiday? You don't, of course, have a summer holiday at this time of year. But is there a bit of a break from work? Oh, it's a break from work, but it'll be spent here relaxing, just having some time off. We um, we carefully did Christmas visits to family and friends down in Glasgow at the start of December and then had some family visiting here mid-December. So we're, we're not feeling in any way obligated to leave the <laughs> island. But it'll be sociable being here. There'll be, uh, yeah, be lots, lots to do here. And you won't be watching the Queen's speech, you'll be watching the King's speech. Yes. Well, that'd be weird, won't it? I hadn't thought about that. As someone who's never actually ever watched the Queen's speech, I'm not sure I'm going to start now. But yeah, that's quite strange. Must be so weird, like going through or thinking about all of those for the family. What what traditions do they carry on and just sort of like Mm. change the person doing them? Mm. And which to what do they say? That was just that person. Yeah, I guess you have to you have to find your own way into it don't you in your own voice and um yeah that's i imagine that would be quite nerve-wracking for him actually i presume they've got people that are actually speech writers that know what they're doing you would hope so but never know i don't know how much would you want to do yourself if i was delivering that i would want to do and you know i wanted to sound like it came from me rather than from some you know some robotic robotic speech writer who's trying to get everything neatly lined up I'd want it to be human and personal. So what are your plans for the first bits of 2023? 
Um, yes, that's a good question. I'm not entirely sure I've got them. There's the work stuff's lining up. There's a few things that that we're doing, um, but easing in quite slowly. Actually, uh, I don't feel I don't feel the urge to be busy at the moment. In fact, I find, I feel the urge to be doing something different and more creative and interesting Nick, on top of um, other work. But we've got. Yeah, we're we're in quite a nice catch-up phase work-wise at the moment because we've had an absolutely crazy time through the pandemic leading up to a report we put out, just came out in um, the very end of November. And before we think about the next big piece of search, we've got two projects starting up. It's uh, it's a bit of a time for uh, sweeping out the the closet and clearing the shelves from all the junk that's accumulated. And um, yeah, just trying to get back into a slightly more sane rhythm, I think, next year. So creative and interesting. So that that will be like hang gliding while knitting? Yeah, it could be something like that. I'm not quite sure whether it's writing or something more um, in, uh, image or photography based, but I need to, yeah, I need something creative alongside the work stuff, which there hasn't been time for for the last couple of years. And, um, and I have a new, I have a new job as well so i've just been made a community counselor oh congratulations yes i think so i'm not sure that's appropriate but it's uh <laughs> the community councils in scotland are effectively like local boards um they have no power particularly but they're quite useful conduits uh but it is an opportunity to use the role and the organization in terms of the plans we've got around resilience and thinking about some of those things so yeah we'll see we've got a learner who is working in a a sensitive area with with sensitive clients so he's doing reflection on his own work practice but he's having to be extremely careful with what he writes about so we're looking for explorations of writing about things in different genres so we're looking for exercises on you know right about today in the form of a limerick. Um, and th- there's a XKCD, you know, the, the sort of stick figure comic. Yeah. There's, a, there's yeah. a thing that you can use that generates those. Right, right up today as one of those. That's what we've, those are the two things we've, we've thought of so far as, as exercises. We've been struggling to find the, the writing prompts to prompt different genres. Most of the mm. writing prompts that we can find are, um, you know, it was a dark and stormy night. How did they? How did they get there? Or you yeah. know, there's sort of like yeah. those those sort of prompts that set up a a situation that you then have to try and write a story from. Yeah, which is a little bit contrived. Yeah, so we're, we're looking for we're looking for prompts that can think about or to, to to help people think about different ways of writing, not just different stuff to write. Mm. So, so you got about, any favourite yeah. exercises? Um, there's a couple of things, and I used to teach um i used to teach some academic writing and using creative writing principles and there's a couple of tricks i i used to use for freeing up the mind one was to listen um to to look at some song lyrics for song the lyrics never quite matched the songs there's another really interesting exercise which i used to to love doing is i used to give the students this course a um a poem to read now the poem was in russian I always made sure there were no Russian speakers on this course or I had to change it. But the poem was in Russian. And I asked the students to sit down and tell me what they saw in the poem. 
Now, the most interesting thing about this was the poem that I always used was Hone uh, Tufare, Rain. So it's a poem that some of them might have been familiar with, but certainly because they were back in New Zealand. So they were certainly familiar. Most would have been familiar with um, Tufare and his writing. But it, that, there's an interesting thing that happens when you have to look at that, because what you what it had was it had a, it, when you write that poem in Russian, it has an interesting way it hangs and it almost is like the rain falling. It's, uh, it's, it's quite fascinating. And then at the end of it, when you, you get them to say, what do you see in this poem? What's coming out? And you tell them what it is and you show them the English. Uh, oh, it's got a nice jolt to the brain. It just puts your brain somewhere else. Um, and I think the interesting thing about that is not the prompt, not the, it was a dark stormy night, what shall I do? It's how about writing it in the style of an alpaca? In the style of an alpaca. Or in the style of the postman coming round the corner. What If you're doing reflection, you've got to reflect on something. So instead of your reflection, what did the postman see when he walked around the corner? There was an alpaca standing in the field while you were having these conversations. What did it hear? What did it see? What did it make of it? Yes. I've got so had you, a, Yeah, I've, I've, I went to a, um, a workshop on climate change, art and climate change, trying to sort of like look at how art can not tell the story of climate change but can engage between the two yeah and i decided what would be really fun was a plankton's eye view of climate change Mm. no idea what this plankton is going to see and i don't know if it's anthropomorphizing it too much to do that but it's still got me thinking because also the other thing is the plankton is is if you if you extrapolate that idea the plankton is not going to be around for long it's going to get nibbled up by something and where does it go on its journey as it comes up from the bottom of the sea, what does it find? Yes. So there's, you know, you can always work with those ideas. It's about metaphor a lot of them. You know, if you can, rather than, yeah, I, I, that it's a dark stormy night, what happened next is, you know, I'd, I'd give that to Warren to, and he would be bored. But if I said something, about, if I used it as a metaphor for it and said, you know, let's imagine we're on the moon and we're looking back at this, what, does like, what was today like from a spaceship? Hmm. We shall have to do that. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have McGee and G. Now, that is cheating as far as song titles go by David yeah, Greenberg. Why yeah. this one? Um, so, as I said, I, my, um, my guess act clause here, I outsource the selection of music today. And Alison, my partner, is a Baroque cellist and also has some significant experience in uh, traditional Scottish music. Uh, David is a a very good friend of hers and colleague that she's worked with for many, 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 many years. He's based on, these days, in the um, Pacific Northwest of the US. Um, And this is an arrangement of two tracks. One is Minuet in A with Variations by William McGibbon, who was a Scottish composer of the um, early... 18th century, he composed a lot of, um, or arranged a lot of Scottish tunes with a really Italian influence from about the 1740s onwards. Alison's interest in music ends in about the mid 18th century. So can't be doing with this new stuff. Yeah. And then there's a waltzing air that um, that David wrote as well that he's he's put on the end of it. Uh, And it's just a really lovely song. And it was Alison's choice for today. Thank you. 
you, Alison. That was a good choice indeed. Grateful for these gifts. This that last bit. Do you know what gift you're getting for Christmas? Well, the Christmas badgers have been dropping things off in boxes and parcels and things. I'm not entirely sure. I know one of them, but I shouldn't spoil the surprise. Actually, <laughs> being very boring and practical, most of the presents are going to the uh, smaller member of the household. Um, for ourselves, there's not really much we need because we just tend to get stuff. So, well, we'll get a few tokens. It's going to be a couple of surprises. And we bought ourselves a frying pan. Whoa! Yeah, I was going to say, exactly. I was going to say, are you getting a wheel wheelbarrow for Christmas? But you outdid that with a frying pan. Yeah, we got a wheelbarrow. Yeah, we got a we got bought ourselves a nice La Cruze that we needed one extra pan of. So we thought, well, we'll just treat ourselves, and that's a joint present to ourselves. And what are the nearly five year olds getting this Christmas? Um, oh, he's getting an arrangement of things. One of the problems is he gets lots of presents, and we don't particularly like being that materialistic. So we are. We're being quite focused, actually. So we're tending to buy him smaller things, um, toys and things in play with lots of books. And, uh, yeah, he's he's got an early present of a wooden toaster set, complete with wooden toast and things. So he's he's already got a little wooden espresso machine and puts them on his trolley. He's got his cafe that tours the house with that now has expanded from coffee and fruit salad, his wooden fruit, to offer toast and jam or honey, if one prefers. And, of course, being the customers, you enjoy eating this wooden toast. That's delicious. It's possibly the best toast I've ever eaten. And coffee. And the coffee's good as well. Yeah, it's got a proper little espresso machine. So, Andy, we have seen lots of changes in society over the last couple of years, uh, three years. What do you think is going to stick, has stuck, and what do you hope will stick? I hope that more flexible working sticks for people i know there's a lot of people don't want it because you can't control people so they but actually all the evidence is that um giving people flexibility not forcing them to work at home or forcing them to work in this but letting them choose is good it's good for um family life it's good for for people to have flexibility i think one of the interesting developments is the emergence of the four-day week because i think there is absolutely damning evidence to show that chaining someone to a desk for five days a week is not that productive and you know you all know when you sit in the office and your brain isn't working I and mean, i have one of those jobs where i have my brain has to work before i can do anything if i'm sitting in an office trying to look useful it's a waste of my time i might as well be at home and go out and do the garden or you know go and go and go for a walk take the dog for a walk something like that and then actually probably my brain will click in as i'm taking the dog for a walk doing something else and i think that's a much more grown-up way of working and if we can be flexible and have our work organized in a way that doesn't feel like you're being forced to sit down and be productive when you can't be or not, then actually we are more productive. If we're allowed to work with our own rhythms, I think we are more productive. So I'd like to see, I'd like to see that develop. Um, I think the big problems at the moment, though, is you know, the standard of living, the cost of living, certainly in Europe and certainly in the UK, mostly through the incompetence of the government, we're far worse off than anybody else. But fuel prices, um, electricity, gas prices, absolutely horrific in this country. You can't get stuff. It's just not in the shops. Then there's always someone else to blame. But you know, the blame is pretty obvious where it is. There. Um, the, the government in the UK at the moment is fighting a battle. The inflation here is now rocketing up. And so people want pay rises, you know, fair enough, because they've, they've done without them for quite a long time. But the government is setting its, its sights on using the nurses and the fact that they want a pay rise. In England, at least, Scotland is slightly different, again, because we're, we're moderately autonomous on that, although not entirely. 
Um, but the UK government is set on being able to blame the nurses for the failure of the NHS before it goes and privatises. It will happen differently in Scotland, but, you know, to say Scotland has its own, uh, funds its own health and social care is, is misleading because we're only given so much money and the UK government makes sure that we're not good enough to be able to run the health that we want. So let's try and be positive to the end of the show. Holidays being a time of celebration, what can we celebrate in the last year or so? Well, I think we can celebrate the fact we got through the pandemic. You know, not everybody. Some people didn't. Some people still struggling with it. But I think as a society, we learned that we can be collaborative and resourceful and co-create solutions ourselves. And we can, you know, when push comes to shove, people are good. Most people will will get involved and chip in and and work for the good of the community. I, I think it. I think it's shown us that with some exceptions where people are just out to rule the system, most people are there for the good of the community. And I think that's a positive. And I, I hope we can hold on to that. Um, you know, in the UK, certainly holding on to that is difficult in the current climate because everything is about green profit. But actually, it's it didn't that hasn't got us through the pandemic. That almost cost us. In fact, it probably did. What got us through was people working together and communities coming together. Can you see a an opportunity for a, a flip, a lever switch on? We've, we've been noticing from people that we've been talking to in the UK that there is a general feeling of austerity has leaked out into people's mindsets. Mm. What do we need to do to flip that? Is, is, there, do we have a, yeah. is there something down the road that we know is going to change it? No, but there is no. So the problem with this is it's a media construction that we're being told it's austerity, which is good for us because we have to we have to do all of this. There is no austerity. The money is simply being siphoned off to a smaller, smaller number of people. You know, there, there is no such thing as austerity. It's a joke. It's actually a way of depriving the majority of people funds and telling them that they're lucky to have jobs whilst not having a pay rise, whilst the directors of the company, the shareholders of the company, cream off more and more and more in profits. And invariably that gets taken out out the Cayman Isle or wherever. They're not paying tax on it. So actually, austerity is a lie. And and I hope what comes out is that the people start seeing this. The people start to see we're being con. We're being ped a you know, we're fed a pack of lies by a bunch of, of media moguls who don't pay tax in the UK. You know, the owner of the Daily Mail doesn't pay tax in UK. The owner of the Times, the Sun, don't pay tax. So they don't pay tax in the UK. How dare they tell us how we should live? But they're promoting that that um, neo-libertarian message of austerity is just what we have to do because it's a difficult time. Well, it's not. They're, they're just creaming the money off and less of it, less and less of it is coming back into the system. You know, the only way the system in Britain works is because there's any benefits, but they're cutting those as well. You know, Tesco doesn't pay its staff enough money to live on. And I'm not singling out Tesco there. They're not alone. That's how these companies operate. They work on the fact that most people on benefits in the UK are actually in employment and many in full-time employment, but they're paid so badly they can't afford to live, even though those companies are making vast amounts of money. And you look at the banks and the oil companies and all of these people, there is no austerity in their profit. So I, I hope that one of, the, one of the things that we open our eyes to next year is we are being lied to. So does the positive future come from both that realisation, but also from the, the micro, the community, the communities banding together and having a good time? 
Yeah, I think it comes from the ground up because the top down isn't going to change. It's, you know, it's creaming off the profits. It's happy. It likes it wants to keep everybody else in their place. It's not going to. It's Turkey's voting for Christmas. They're not going to vote for political reform. The Labour Party just brought out this new strategy in the UK about their democratic reform. And it's absolute garbage. It's just a couple of show pony headlines, but they're not reforming the voting system, which is what keeps those two parties in power and protects them. It's 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 appalling. It's just a really rubbish strategy. Um, and, you know, in Scotland, we'd like the, the opportunity or many of us would like the opportunity to determine whether we stay in the UK or not. We've been denied it because uh, it doesn't suit them. They don't. You know, the UK government doesn't want it because there's money in Scotland. They want to, to drain every last cent out of the oil. At some point, they'll have decided it's not worth keeping and they'll send us on our way. But, you know, the fact we're denied even the rights to decide for ourselves, even though the, the act of union was a, a voluntary thing between the two countries. Um, yeah, it's, democracy is in a pitiful state because it's there to, to, to ensure profits for a very small group of people. Um, and, and I think communities will start taking control of things like that, but they don't have any power. And you know, the UK doesn't do revolution. So how do you change it? The answer is slowly, I think. But I have some questions to end the show and negative time to do them. So we're going to have to really rattle this time. Andy, what is the biggest success you've had in the last year or so? Um, surviving life with a four-year-old would be the obvious one. <laughs> Professionally, it's actually developing a set of standards and guidelines for deliberative democracy because that puts it on a legitimate footing. So what's your superpower? Ah, you always ask me this one, and I'm never quite sure. I, I still think my superpower is process, seeing the process, taking it apart, rebuilding it, making it better. And do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, no, I do and I don't. I think I, 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 think I, I work away in a different... I, I'm working more in the system, so I'm not, I, you know, I would not compare myself with someone who's taking on civil action and out on the streets, but I'm, I'm, I'm creating change in a different way. I'm trying to work from within the system a bit more. I think one of my highlights for the year was watching Greta Thunberg on Russell Howard. Mm. It was such a fantastic interview. I didn't see that. Ah, it's worth looking up. It's, 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 on, it's, it's on YouTube. It's worth finding. Is it? Okay. So I don't have a TV, you see. So. so what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, usually a four-year-old far too <laughs> early. But um, I, I think it actually is things like, you know, this saying, oh, we've just created a standard for deliberative democracy. I so what? But actually, it's stuff like that, because when you do a piece of work like that, it hits the, the desk of governments at a very senior level. And it suddenly legitimizes a new way of doing things. And that motivates me. You know, the work we're doing with parliaments is when we can sit down with the parliament and say, actually, you can create change. You can be innovative. You can do this better. I think that's that's motivating. And they're tiny little chinks, you know, just chipping away at the stuff, making it um, it's making it a little bit better every time, but it, it's hard to change those systems. So anything we can do that improves them and makes it easier for people to come along and use that stuff, I think is, is good. It's positive. That's a big part of that change is not just to have a vision for it could change, but a vision for actually it could happen. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you have to, um, you know, if you're if you're fighting to say we want to do deliberative democracy, we want this and this, and the government's going no. Suddenly, there's a standard from the Council of Europe that you're part of that says you should do it and you should do it like this. Their excuse just went out the window, and actually, the argument for how you do it has gone out. We don't know how to do it. Has gone out the window because we we told you how to do it, and you know we we're, we're just remove. It's it's a really good example of removing a barrier. Now, it doesn't remove political resistance. You have to educate and to overcome. 
but it, it's just taking away one of the barriers. And what is the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? I'm, I think that's a very personal one that I'm looking forward to not being as challenged as I have been for the last few years of the pandemic, because work-wise, it's been absolutely crazy. And that's taken me away from other stuff I want to do. So I want to be doing more in the community locally. I'm more grounded in the community rather than, you know, because I work anywhere in the world and I'm sitting talking to like I'm talking to you um, and I could be anywhere. Whereas actually I want to spend a bit more time out there that I, where I can walk from here. That's a good goal. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yeah, don't, don't listen to the media. Read around, especially with the election things and look for the other side of the story. And get the facts, get the data, not the spin. Thank you very much for that. Andy, thank you very much for joining me on this Christmas Eve Eve. And we're going out this month to have yourself a merry little Christmas. Today it is the Beths. Thanks, Sam. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Andy. Next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide. listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, which is brought to you by Tupu Kenga. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio, remember 
Nice and Friday afternoons are free and streamed on podcasts on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Sammy didn't have a real with us today, but she says Happy Christmas. And I've been joined by Andy Williamson on the Isle of Skye off the northwest of Scotland. That was blowing bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.